0: man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Monday edition of PFT PM. Got more than a few things to talk about today, one day after. A historic day for the NFL, a pair of conference championship games that went to overtime. That had never happened before. There'd never been any day in NFL history with multiple postseason overtime games on the same day. And obviously there are Five days a year when that can happen. Wild card round, Saturday, Sunday. Divisional round, Saturday, Sunday. Championship Sunday. Never had happened before yesterday. And the games were exciting. The games had drama. I'm surprised that the ratings for the early window were down in comparison to last year, the year before, the year before that. The lowest number for the early Championship Sunday window all the way back to early 2013 when the Falcons... And the 49ers got together for a berth in Super Bowl 47. The late window had the highest rating that we've seen since the year before that, when the 49ers and Giants got together in the late window. And from time to time, the possibility comes up, typically when it's mentioned in conjunction with a potential... LA and LA home game in the championship round. And look, it was dangerously close to happening this year where the Chargers would have been hosting a championship game in Carson at night and the Rams could have been hosting a championship game in, in the Coliseum earlier. Well, neither team ended up doing it, but it was close and it could happen. And the talk was that they would split the games between Sunday and Monday if both were in the same market. And obviously they're soon going to both be in the same stadium. So there would not even be a discussion of an afternoon and evening game in the L.A. area. And I say all that because if they would go Sunday and Monday, they would realize the ratings are better Sunday and Monday. And there's no disadvantage to playing on Monday when the Super Bowl isn't until the following Sunday. There's no longer that one-week turnaround for the Super Bowl. They always build in the two weeks. So, why not go Sunday night, Monday night? I guarantee you the ratings would be much higher than Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. Anytime you can put things into prime time, the numbers are going to be higher. People have argued for Saturday night, Sunday night, but the problem is Saturday night is a TV wasteland, and you're not going to typically get the kind of gigantic numbers that you could Sunday, Monday. Now, look, the Cowboys delivered on Saturday night in the divisional round, but you're not always going to have the Cowboys. Sometimes you're going to have the Rams and the Saints. And even though it was a great game, Rams and Saints did not deliver. And it's funny to see how Fox is selling it. Fox isn't comparing Sunday's game in the 3 p.m. Eastern window to last year's 3 p.m. Eastern window game to the priors. All they're comparing is this year's Fox game to last year's Fox game. Well, last year's Fox game was at night, but it was Eagles-Vikings and it was a blowout, so the ratings sucked. So, hey, it's 10% higher than last year. Well, it should be. This was an exciting game that went to overtime. Last year was a blowout that was over by halftime. By the second half, it was a done deal. By midway through the second quarter, the dagger had been applied by the Eagles to the Vikings. So, I think that the NFL should consider, and I've raised this suggestion with some people in positions of authority, and they've said it's a good idea. Maybe they're just humoring me, but I don't think they are. I think they realize there's some value to doing Sunday, Monday. Now, it's hard to, ru- to replicate. I almost said replicate because I was going to say duplicate and replicate. It's almost hard to replicate or deplicate what went on Sunday, right? You can't. It, if you do Sunday, Monday night, right? you gather everybody to wherever you're going to watch it. And we had a barn full of people and we had a great time. And it was a great six-hour window. And you have a nice meal in between games. And and you settle in for the second game after you watch the first game. I don't know. Would it be fun to do back-to-back nights? I don't know that you could pull that off back-to-back nights. But I'll tell you what. Regardless of whether people gather or they're at home, they're going to watch Sunday, Monday. More than they watch Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. For some people, six, seven hours of football is too much. They can't do it casual fans aren't used to devoting a full day to watching football. So I think there's a lot of merit to it, and I think the NFL should consider it. That's the least of the things, though, the NFL should be considering in the aftermath of yesterday's games. Yesterday's games were exciting. Yesterday's games were memorable. Yesterday's games had great moments. Yesterday's games had bad moments, embarrassing moments for the NFL, officiating issues in both games. And the, the overriding problem is that the NFL refuses to fully embrace modern technology. And the NFL refuses to apply proaction, a proactive mindset, an ability and willingness to sit down and identify areas where things can be improved before they stumble into a pothole and they think, wow, we need to fix that pothole. That's the biggest flaw right now for the NFL. And and that's a big flaw. There is no way to run a business. A business of that magnitude. A business of that significance. A business where legacies ride on the outcome of games. How do you not insist on taking advantage of every possible mechanism and venue to ensure that you get calls right? There is way too much of a willingness to accept that shit happens. And Chris Sims and I were arguing about this today on PFT Live, and I feel like he was chasing his tail because anytime I was making good points on why they should embrace technology to try to make it better, he got into this, well, it's never going to be perfect, and then, well, we're making a big deal about one play, and, "Well, well, well, here's the bottom line. You can always strive to make things better. I think it's unacceptable to say, well, that's just the way it is human nature, human error, excuse me, is going to be part of the game. Human nature too, but human error. And human nature and human error will come together from time to time and create a big mess. Like when somebody decides to keep the flag in his pocket because he doesn't want to be the one who decides a championship by throwing a flag. I mean, we see that dynamic all the time. The flag gets deeper in those key moments. And sometimes it's so deep, it never comes out even when it should, like it should have late in the Rams-Saints game. But that's where you need to have a commitment to utilizing the available technologies. And look, the NFL already has the pipeline to 345 Park Avenue, and we know they're not supposed to use it to throw flags when flags weren't thrown in real time or have flags picked up when they weren't picked up as a result of any conference that organically happens among the officials at the game site. We know that they're not supposed to do that, but you know what? If you're watching football, you get the sense that from time to time, Al Riveron or Russell Yerke, the number two at the league office, communicating directly with the referee. Somebody is telling someone what to do beyond the boundaries of what that pipeline is used for. That pipeline is there primarily to assist with, and it used to be assist with. Now it is to dictate the outcome of replay review because they wanted to have one set standard. They didn't like the idea that 17 different referees were applying 17 different standards to replay review, and they were getting it wrong because... One person would say clear and obvious is one thing. Another one would say clear and obvious is another thing. You had too many referees substituting their own judgment for the judgment exercised by the member of their crew in real time. And they wanted to make it one person. And ultimately, at most, two people who have a clear vision of what is and isn't reviewable. So they set up this ultra high speed fiber optic line where they can communicate in real time. And that's great. But then they realized, hey, we can use this for other stuff. And maybe they should use it for other stuff. And here's the thing, if Al Riveron had told Bill Vinovich yesterday to drop a flag, and if Bill Vinovich had said, pass interference, defense, and given the Saints a first down inside the five yard line with a minute and 49 to play and the Rams having one timeout and the Saints would have been in position to bleed the clock and maybe get the ball back to the Rams with 19, 20 seconds, something like that, down three, who would have been upset about that? First of all, it's not like they would have admitted that they misused the pipeline. And I believe they have misused the pipeline in the past. And I've said before, I don't care as long as they get the call right. Use the pipeline. Use it to correct anything and everything. And take it one step farther. And this is the argument that we set forth on PFT Live. I've written about it today at profootballtalk.com. And I've been talking about it for the last four years. Hire a video official put the video official in black and white stripes. Make that person part of the crew. Yeah, it's going to look a little silly with someone walking around in the press box dressed as an official, but you know what? Everybody will know that's a member of the officiating crew. And that person is here to work as an extension of, as part of, as a key component of the officiating crew. And that person's going to sit in a room by himself or herself with no one else there, and that person is going to speak directly to the referee in real time and say, for example, when the face mask of Jared Goff is missed in the fourth quarter, throw a flag. And there have been a lot of missed face masks in the postseason. I think in the wild card round, three of the four games had a face mask that was missed call the flag, call the foul, have somebody there who is in position to tell the referee to throw that flag and do it for anything and everything. And it doesn't matter what is or isn't reviewable. It doesn't matter. Anything and everything, like any call that you're making in real time, pass interference, spot of the ball, Holding or not holding, although that gets a little more difficult to spot in real time. But you know what? If you see it on the monitor, if you see it on the replay, that's why the video official is there. There There's so many cameras blanketing the field. There's so many things that we see at home. The goal here is, and it's a very simple goal, the goal is to eliminate the gap between what we see at home and what the officials see on the field. Because being on the field in the middle of everything is far more difficult than watching it on a flat screen. And now that the technology has improved, it's so much different than it used to be. Think about, well, for those of you who are alive in the 80s, even the 90s before HD, and I remember back in the 70s, when you pull up YouTube and watch some of the games that are available from the 70s, you're not really in a position back in those days to have high-level commentary on what was or wasn't missed because the camera angles weren't the same. I remember it was a big deal when they had reverse angle instant replay. That was a big deal. That was the big innovation of the mid-70s. That instead of showing you again the play you just saw, they would show you that play as shot from a camera, wait for it, on the other side of the field. And they would put the graphic up, reverse angle, instant replay. And I remember thinking when I was like nine years old, what the hell is that? Oh, they have a camera on the other side of the field. Oh, that's cool. Why don't they put more cameras there? And now cameras are everywhere. And we get to see the cameras everywhere. But the NFL still requires the officials to rely as a first look on what they see with the naked eye. And and I think if you look back at the Nickel Roby Coleman hit on Tommy Lee Lewis, You'll see, there's an official looking right at it, but it happens so fast, the naked eye can't see whether the ball gets there first or the player gets there first. And in real time, I thought, oh, that's no foul. And then they showed the replay, it's like, oh shit, that's a foul. That's horrible. That's egregious. And, you know, those officials know they're not robots. They know in the moment, they know what's riding on it. And it's entirely impossible the official official thought, well, what the hell are you doing throwing it in that spot? I'm not giving you a free first down inside the five. You shouldn't be throwing the damn ball. And if you look at what happened, we, we, we got an advanced look at the coaching film. It'll be available in the Game Pass feature tomorrow. But... Nicole Robbie Coleman was completely out of position. Tommy Lee Lewis was next to Drew Brees in the backfield. Nicole Roby Coleman is all the way over on the other side of the formation. He sprinted across and like weaved through a couple of his guys. And, and he knew he was beaten. He said it after the game. He could have, if he was playing the ball, picked it off and gone the other way, but he wasn't playing the ball. He was trying his damnedest to get to Tommy Lee Lewis. And that may be why Brees threw the pass. He knew the guy wasn't playing the ball. The guy was going straight for the running back. And Brees actually held the ball a little bit too long. But, you know, there's a hot take percolating out there that Breeze didn't have all that great of a game, and that, that that Breeze is maybe starting to show signs of age and wear and tear and whatnot. He missed some throws yesterday, and if he gets that ball out a little earlier to Lewis, yeah, it's a touchdown. And we're talking about the Saints getting to the Super Bowl, and our big criticism coming out of. That game would be Sean McVay not going for a touchdown, but settling for a field goal when he had the ball at fourth and right on the doorstep of the Saints end zone. I still don't know why they didn't do that. But anyway, there needs to be a video official, and the video official needs to be in position in every stadium to speak directly to every referee, and the video official needs to be able to assist in the first look. You can still have replay review as a separate function, but you won't need replay review all that often. If the looks that they're seeing in real time, and it wouldn't be clear and obvious. It's just, what did you see? What did you see? Did you see a foul? Did you not see a foul? And replay review would be there to clean up whatever the ruling would be. And it could be quick. It could be efficient. And the more they would do it, the better they would get at it. And it wouldn't be all that hard. It really wouldn't be. You put somebody in a quiet booth with access to all of those angles. Multiple screens. They have direct feeds coming in from the truck. Every camera that's available to the producer and the director of the game broadcast is right there. Because that's what they do. They say, okay, show six, show five, go to three, cut to this one. You have all of them right there. And maybe you have access to the same technologies they have in the truck. Maybe this is something that is done in cooperation with the broadcast partners where you can pick one and, and you can spin it back. And it all, you know, the more you practice it, and it, this is why you need to have the officials as full-time employees. And in the off-season, the video officials would be put in these real-time situations. This would be easy to simulate. It's hard to simulate what it would be like for game officials outside of football season. But for a video official, you got all the raw data. You put a video official in the booth and you can simulate the communication with a referee and the the video official watches the game and the video official gets better and better and better at quickly spotting where a flag wasn't thrown, where a flag was thrown, where a spot is off, where a spot is on. And it would just be every single play. And you don't have to worry about getting trampled. That would be the, the, the most plum officiating assignment. You're basically hanging out at your house. Watching it on a bunch of different TVs. And you don't have to worry about somebody running into you and knocking you off your feet. Getting a concussion, breaking a leg, breaking ribs, whatever happens to these folks from time to time. You're not out in the elements either. You're nice and warm and you're nice and cozy. And you can just focus on what you see and ensuring that what you see and what we see is seen by and factored into the decisions by the officials on the field. That's the thing that the NFL must do and here's hoping they're not too stubborn to do it. I've been arguing that they should do it for four or five years. There's this weird mentality where they don't like people telling them what they should do. They'll don't. they they'll come up with their own ideas. Thank you very much. Oh, the college overtime is better than ours. Well, that's college overtime. Well, I, that's why I'm astounded 25 years later that the NFL ever even went to the two-point conversion. That's a college thing. Oh, we don't do that. We're the NFL. They need to lose that. If they want to be competitive in this marketplace, if they want to have credibility in a world of legalized gambling, the NFL needs to embrace anything and everything, all ideas. I mean, they're looking for ideas for, like, all sorts of goofy technological things and ideas for innovating safety. And why not accept whatever ideas anyone is suggesting, former players, media, former coaches, anybody. If you find a good idea, use it. There should be no pride oh, we didn't think of it. That's not our idea. Who gives a shit? We're all out here trying to make the game better. Let's not be stubborn about it. There's just this weird quasi political good old boy drinking buddy. Just, it's just weird. And it's amazing. The NFL has been as successful as it has with people who are just so damn stubborn that they don't know what's good for them. And they don't take advantage of ideas to make the sport better. They're content. They're complacent. They're apathetic. They're printing money. This is one of the products of printing money. Ah, Oh, yeah, we had a little embarrassment. But you know what? We'll still print more money. Well, maybe not as much as you could. I've said this many times over the last five years. If the NFL didn't have so many inherent managerial flaws, how much more money would the league be worth? How much more revenue would the league be generating if it was properly managed? Because I'm telling you, And we see this from time to time, and we see it in the flaws. That's how you always can judge how good or bad an organization is, by how it deals with its worst moments. The NFL does not deal with its worst moments well. There are many managerial flaws in the National Football League, and it's still a multi-billion dollar operation. How much better would it be if they could iron some of these things out? Plenty more to get to today, and I'm going to try to answer as many of your questions as I can in the interim. When it gets cold out there, your vehicle needs some extra attention. O'Reilly Auto Parts has everything you need to keep your vehicle toasty and warm. From choosing the right antifreeze for your engine to replacing your windshield wiper blades, O'Reilly will help you get your car or truck in fighting shape for the cold weather ahead or the cold weather that is here. And I was just outside with the dog, and it is cold. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Let me say this. I now know why dogs always pant when it's warm out. Because, especially the dog we have with this big, thick coat, half Bernese Mountain Dog, half Poodle, she is perfectly fine. At single digits, she is perfectly fine. She'll stay outside for three hours. Perfectly fine. So now I won't know why she's miserable in the summertime. But uh, yeah, cold weather is here, and take care of your car. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better prices. Better parts every day. I, I bet they didn't expect the whole dog diversion to make its way into the read. Oh, well. Enjoy. O'Reilly Auto Parts, enjoy your dog if you have one. And if you have a thick coat of hair like your dog, enjoy running around outside for a couple of hours without being phased by the cold. I'm trying to think of anything new to add to the NFC and AFC Championship Games beyond what we spoke about today on PFT Live. We had three full hours and we jammed a lot in. I'm going to defer to what we've already said. I'm going to defer to what we've already written. I mean, I'm trying to spin it forward. You know, some of the themes out there that I'm looking at, will Tom Brady retire if he wins a sixth Super Bowl? I think it's something to seriously watch. I think it's something that could indeed possibly happen. It would not surprise me if it did. I think his wife wasn't joking two years ago when she suggested retirement after Super Bowl 51. That epic come from behind victory down 28-3. to 3, The year that started with a four-game suspension for Deflategate. I, I said myself, hey, you know, Brady should win. He should carry the game ball over to the commissioner. Stick it in his gut and say, put this in your trophy case and walk away for good. It would have been a great moment. But here he is two years later. He had another Super Bowl appearance. Had one of the great performances of all time in Super Bowl 52 that gets overlooked by the fact that the Patriots lost and now he gets to do it again and he's firing on all cylinders that drive yesterday was a thing of beauty 13 plays 75 yards in overtime three third and tens converted the throw to Gronk on third and 10 as they were moving closer and closer to war and they would have been they, you know, it would have been field goal time you miss that one it's field goal time and then Patrick Mahomes is on on the turf and he gets a chance to try to tie the game or win it and, and I really do think that the overtime rule needs to be changed. They need to go the rest of the way. Nine years ago, when I advocated changing overtime, I didn't ever intend it to only be for field goals, that the team that kicks off would get a chance to match. I never wanted that. I always wanted the team that scores first to have to go to the sideline and give the other team an opportunity to match it or beat it. And if you match it, then it becomes sudden death. Both teams need a chance to possess the ball. And I know, well, oh, if it would be hey, if it, the chief chiefs would have gotten a chance, it would have been unfair because they could have gone for two and one. Hey, if they go for two and they win it, that, that, that's their prerogative. The Patriots could have gone for two when they scored their touchdown to force the chiefs to go for two to extend it. I don't mind that. I don't mind the fact that the team that gets the ball the second time is essentially playing four down territory football. I don't mind that. I just think both teams should have a chance to possess the ball because the rules right now, and we all know this, they're configured in a way that favors the offense. That, that, that knee-jerk reaction we get, well, you should go out and stop them. Well, you know what? It's hard to stop them in this day and age. Offensive football is king. So why should the defense be expected to stop the offense when the rules are put in place to promote offensive football? Why shouldn't both offenses get a chance to possess the ball? And I've had other ideas that I've thrown out there from time to time. I think from the perspective of limiting the wear and tear on players, especially for regular season overtime, they should just put the ball on the 10. First and goal from the 10. All that's not football. Well, what the hell is it? It's not soccer. It's not field hockey. Of course it's football. Is a shootout in soccer football? Penalty kicks? Is that football? I mean, is that soccer? Of course it's not football. Well, it's football. You know, they know who we mean. Is the shootout in hockey? Is that hockey? Well, it's the penalty shot, right? You see penalty shots in hockey, so we do five penalty shots per team, or three, or whatever the hell it is. Penalty kicks in soccer, we see penalty kicks from time to time, so we do penalty, penalty kicks to resolve the tie. So we see first and goal from the 10 in football. We see red zone offense all the time. So what? Chris Sims was making an argument today. Well, it favors a team with younger quarterbacks. What the hell are you talking about? It favors the team with younger quarterbacks. Well, you know what? If it does get a younger quarterback, you better have a younger quarterback if you're going to go to overtime then. But it's too much like the college system and they're not going to adopt the college system. I've argued in the past that they should put one offense and one defense at one end of the field, the other offense and the other defense at the other end of the field and just go back and forth going for two, kind of like the shootout the penalty kicks, just go back and forth and back and forth until somebody gets it and the other one doesn't. How long could that take? How many more reps are you going to have if you do that? And I know they're high intensity reps because you're going for two, but why not do that? There's got to be a better way and there's got to be a more fair way at a minimum than letting a team win a coin toss and go right down the field. And I know what the Patriots did was impressive, and not every quarterback can pull it off, but Patrick Mahomes may have been able to do the same thing. And why should we say that he's going home simply because the Patriots called heads and it came up heads? There's just something that is inherently unfair. And nine years after, we finally acknowledged the inequitable nature of overtime, hiding in plain sight for 35 years. And actually longer than that, because this was the system that would have been in place if it had ever happened in a Super Bowl. It's amazing that it it went so long. And it's still, it's just amazing. Until, what, Super Bowl 51, we didn't have overtime in a Super Bowl. It took that long. And there was the one championship game before that in 50, what was it, 56? Greatest game ever played. That this ability to drive down the field and kick a field goal and walk off has been there. Now, the thing is, it became a, a bigger problem because kicking improved. It used to be a 40-yard field goal was a big deal. They'd have that straight-on kick, and God knows where the ball would go. Well, now that offenses continue to have an edge over defenses, they need to go the rest of the way. And see, I don't think they will, just because that's the least of their concerns in the aftermath of yesterday. If if the biggest controversy from yesterday had been the Patriots driving down the field, 13 plays, 75 yards, winning the game, walking off, and the Chiefs never getting the ball, if you take away the Saints-Rams crap then maybe that would be something that would get some momentum. But, but now the whole talk is making pass interference reviewable and making other fouls reviewable. See, that's how the NFL is dealing with it. The NFL, as of Sunday night, was going to admit publicly that it screwed this up. And something's happened since then. I think the PR people got involved and they made it clear we should not admit this. So they're admitting it implicitly by leaking to the Washington Post, for example, that they'll consider making pass interference reviewable, which is kind of a fancy way of saying, yeah, we know we screwed it up. They they just need to come out and admit it. See, the problem is, how do you admit it without delegitimizing the Rams? And I think if they admit one, they have to admit the missed face mask call when the Rams had the ball right before that in order to avoid creating the perception that, that the Saints should be in the Super Bowl. It's a wash. It didn't affect the outcome because there were two errors. But then then it's like, well, do we want to admit to two errors or one? What the hell are we doing here? But there needs to be more transparency, although we all know what the mistakes were. I, I, I just think that when days like yesterday happen, we find out in very stark terms how far the league has to go in order to get to the point where we feel the right level of confidence that we need to have about the officiating function and about the league itself. Let me tell you a little bit about our friends at OnDeck, small business owners out there. If you need help managing cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, upgrading your office space, check out ondeck.com slash PFT. That will help you get access to capital At a time when it is very challenging and time consuming for small business owners to do so, OnDeck is 100% committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get your funding in as fast as 24 hours with term loans up to $500,000 and lines of credit up to $100,000, neither of which will require business collateral. The application process is simple, it will not impact your personal credit. OnDeck has loaned over $10 billion to more than 80,000 small business owners. So if you are a small business owner and need access to capital, go to ondeck.com PFT now. As a listener to the PFTPM podcast, you will receive a free consultation with one of OnDeck's U.S.-based loan specialists. Apply online or by phone and get approved in minutes. Go to ondeck.com PFT. That's ondec dot PFT for your free consultation now. All right. I've covered everything I want to cover for today. I see there's some other news out there. We'll get to that later in the week. Let's answer your questions. PFTPM Posse, how pissed do you think the people in charge at 345 Park Avenue are that most of the talk the day after a championship weekend that saw two overtime games for the first time ever has largely been about the horrible state of officiating and whether the Rams' Super Bowl berth is legitimate? Well, look, if they're mad, they should be mad at themselves. They created this mess by creating the environment in which this mess could happen. Or more accurately, by not fixing the environment in which it could happen. They knew this could happen. They knew it could happen. They chose not to deal with it. So if they're mad at anybody, they should be mad at themselves. And if they're mad at the spin that the media has put on it all, how dare they? How dare they talk about the Rams not being a legitimate Super Bowl team? How dare they not revel in all the great things that happened? I haven't watched much NFL Network today. I haven't read much NFL.com today. I wonder how hard they are going on the flaws from yesterday. Or are they... Shaking the pom-poms for everything is great in the NFL. The morning show, the afternoon shows, whatever shows they have on there. And I really don't watch it much. I don't watch much NFL programming because I I don't want to ever be accused of stealing people's ideas or takes. So if I just don't consume them, then I'm not going to be accused of it. Now, if a good take comes my way, I'll give it credit. But most of the stuff that I talk about are things that I'm thinking of on my own. And I don't want my thoughts to be polluted by. And I don't want to feel an obligation to, you know, say, Hey, well, somebody else thought of this, not me. Well, I thought of it too. I thought of it separately. So, and, and I just, I can only take so much, frankly, I get all my NFL content that I need off of between social media and all the websites out there, the newspapers, the other media outlets, I get the raw information I need. And we formulate our takes accordingly. However, I do have some curiosity as to how aggressively the NFL's in-house media operations are, are criticizing the league for the failures that led to the Rams Saints debacle yesterday. But yeah, if the NFL is mad, they should only be mad at themselves. This one comes from NFL Leeds. Regular Sunday games are shown live in the UK 6 and 9 p.m. ish. For championship weekend, it's 8 and 11 p.m. Should the NFL consider this if they're trying to grow? No, no. Do not no. Sorry. They want to grow the game internationally, but you're on our timeline. You're on you're on our you're on our schedule because the ultimate generator of revenue for the NFL is the American TV audience. And yes, they want people in other countries to consume professional football, but they're not going to start changing the, the time schedule by which there will be maximum American audience. They're just not going to do it. Super Bowl is going to start at 628 or whenever the hell it is, that really oddly specific time used to be 318 I remember it was 318 I remember thinking back in the 70s boy it's weird why is it 318 and then they realized hey let's start it later the, the ratings will be bigger and the notion that they would move it back to five Eastern four Eastern three Eastern to make it make it more accommodating for folks in Europe the only way that ever happens is if the NFL saturates Europe and other continents well beyond the way it's saturated here and even then, that would oh, you would you would risk alienating your American fans if you start changing things around to accommodate people in other countries. It just ain't gonna happen. PFTPM Posse last week on PFTPM, you asked how could Tyreek Hill have lasted until round five? Did you forget the unwritten agreement of him collusion between teams to not draft him that the Chiefs supposedly break? Why well, I, I addressed that too. I mean I look, the Chiefs broke it, and if the Chiefs were gonna break it, other teams were gonna break it. I saw the report over the weekend, Captain Obvious report, Sunday splash report. They were getting desperate yesterday for Sunday splash reports. The Sunday splash report that the Chiefs want to sign Tyreek Hill after the season. Well, I I would hope they do. He's going to be a free agent after next season. And you don't want to get into that franchise tag dance with Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs are going to have to spend a load of money to hold their team together. I saw that Shefty was suggesting a $200 million contract for Patrick Mahomes. Well, how the hell does he know that? It could be a billion-dollar contract. All that matters is what's fully guaranteed at signing. But that's what they do to create something that will be a headline that will move the needle so people will say, ah, Shefty on Championship Sunday. Shefty, bringing the goods, $200 million contract. How does he know that? Well, it could be any number. Of course they're going to sign into a new contract. Of course they are. The real question is whether or not Patrick Mahomes would say, no, I don't want it. I'll just finish my rookie deal and I'll go year to year. Look at what Kirk Cousins did. If Kirk Cousins a mid-level quarterback, frankly that's what he is, can do that and get 28 million, which at the time was top of the market, what can Mahomes do? What will Russell Wilson do? What will other quarterbacks do? That's really the story. Of course the teams are going to try to sign the guy and of course they're going to pump these numbers up to make it look like something the guy can't refuse. But who cares about non-guaranteed money on the back end? Now, that said, most quarterbacks do earn all the money under a contract because the catastrophic injuries are few and far between, but still You want the guarantee, because look at what happened to Alex Smith. You want that guarantee. You want it to be maximized. And that's all that really matters. PFTP on Posse, it's a copycat league, so why don't more teams try to replicate the Patriots after nine Super Bowls? What are we missing? How hard is it to not use the same playbook that you installed during training camp for the entire season, plan for individual opponents, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it, it is hard. It's hard to do it the right way. It's hard to stretch the rubber band that is your brain, your time, your overall capacity, your ability to remember things, your ability to load this information into the human brain. See, it's, it's one thing to, to actually think about these things ahead of time. Think about the Super Bowl 49 play that they knew was coming at the goal line, what the Seahawks were doing. Ernie Adams spotted that formation and they, they saw the tendency, right? This is all about spotting tendencies, spotting tells, preparing for it, spending time making sure your own tendencies have been removed from the game, and teaching your players what to be ready for in those moments. And it is a complicated game of four-dimensional chess that you are trying to teach guys who are out there engaging in these physical battles. I mean, it's not chess. They're out there straining and running and moving and blocking and maybe tripping and falling and dealing with the elements. And above all that, you have to get them fundamentally sound, technically proper, and have them understand what may be happening. And you have to coach out of them any habits they may have that will show, are they planning to run? Are they planning to pass? Just stupid little things like the alignment that gave away what the Cowboys were doing. So, yes, it's difficult to do it the right way. It requires a full-year, nonstop effort to plan, to plan, to plan, to plan, to plan. To study, to love it, to embrace it. I said last week that I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick took a few days during the bye week to prepare to face the Chiefs again after the Chiefs put up 40 points against his defense and after they were unable to contain Tyreek Hill. What did they do yesterday? They contained Tyreek Hill. And for the most part, they bottled up Patrick Mahomes, even though he did have plenty of points in the fourth quarter. They ultimately did enough to prevail. That doesn't happen accidentally. It's not just about the exotic scheme that you roll out. It's not about... Now, it is about having plays ready for an individual opponent, selecting the right plays, but it's about having a mastery of everything your opponent does and of everything that you do that your opponent is going to be studying. And it's a fascinating process. But the Patriots have shown that they're better at it than anyone. It also helps to have a quarterback that doesn't insist on the forty million per year that he should be getting. Because if you do that, you have money available so you have backups who are competent. You're not relying upon undrafted free agents to come in and get the job done. That's an over or underrated, overrated, underrated aspect of what the Patriots have done so well. At the CJ Newman wants to know what I thought of the FAPT this week. My kid was a guest of the fullbacks are people to podcast. I, I I'm sorry. It's busy weekend. I haven't had time to listen to all of it. I listened to a little bit of it. I thought Alex sounded good, but I didn't have time to listen to all of it. It was like over an hour. I just didn't have time to listen to it. So I I'm I could lie and say, oh, I listened to the whole thing. It was great. I just haven't had time. I haven't had a chance to listen to all of it. And I probably won't because this week's going to be a blur. And then next Sunday we go to Atlanta. At The Real Forno, if Kyler Murray chooses football, how will paying back his $4.6 million bonus work? Will he have to pay it back pre-tax or the amount he received post-tax? Look, that's something for the accountants to figure out. I think you pay the money back, you get a credit for the taxes. It's a pain in the ass, but I think we, we crossed that bridge when NFL players retired and had to pay money back. Barry Sanders was the first big-name guy who had to do that, and uh, it's a pain in the butt, And and you end up spending a lot of money on accountants to get it all done right. Sergio D. Is Mike Lombardi really a gridiron genius or simply a shameless self-promoter? I'll let others decide that one. I, I I gain nothing from commenting on that. I know people have opinions about him. Some people think that it's genius that he, he looks for these hot takes, even if he's wrong. I, I, I think having credibility means more than, than locking into a hot take that ends up being proven wrong. Like, is it really good for your career to be shouting that Doug Peterson is going to be a bad coach and then he ends up winning a Super Bowl? Some people would say that's good. I don't think that's good. I think it's more important to strive to have credibility. And when you start spouting off that way and it gets misproven or disproven or unproven or debunked or rebunked or unbunked, I just don't think it makes you look good. But I I don't follow enough of what he does. I, I know that there are people in the NFL who have strong opinions about him each way. But you know what? They have strong opinions about me each way, maybe more bad than good. That's no indicator of whether or not you're doing your job the right way or not. I guess if you're getting under people's skin, you're doing your job right. Because there's a lot of people who are very petty and jealous and shallow and they don't like to be criticized by anybody. So if you're willing to call someone out, willing to say what you think and you're getting people pissed off, maybe you're doing something right. But I, I don't pay enough attention to really know. Dr. J144, if the NFL doesn't fire an official for what happened on Sunday in New Orleans, could Hugo Cruz claim racial discrimination? He got fired for less than that. I mean, that's the kind of thing that that you could argue there's a different standard for different people, and I was held to a higher standard, and I don't know anything about Hugo Cruz's specific racial makeup. I mean, I'm not going to make assumptions about someone just based upon their name, but, I, 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 look, they're, they're represented by a union. That makes it harder to make legal claims. You've got to deal with arbitration. It's harder to prevail in that setting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the bottom line is this. Hugo Cruz has a device available to him through the union to challenge whether or not he should be fired. And um, whether or not somebody else was fired later... Uh, I don't know that it becomes discrimination as much as it becomes evidence that maybe they they didn't take the appropriate action against Hugo Cruz. And, and if you're the NFL Referees Association, you hate to set more guys up to be fired by stomping up and down about, you know, whether or not Hugo Cruz is being treated too harshly. Hey, other people haven't been treated as harshly. And then the NFL says, well, you know what? Screw it. We'll start treating guys more harshly. I don't know if somebody needs to be fired for what happened yesterday or what. And there's talk that maybe Riveron will end up being out. Peter King had that in his Football Morning in America column. I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I used to practice employment law, and I'm glad I don't. Because they, they are not easy cases to prevail on. And it's unfortunate when people lose their jobs for not performing their jobs properly. But because there's a union, they do have a device for fighting it, for opposing it, and possibly for prevailing and and i don't know where any of that stands that kind of happened and went away and like so many of these things do we're not there's where's the where is from the standpoint of serving an audience that has things that it wants to read about and hear about the ins and outs of any hugo cruz arbitration hearing yeah that's not going to attract a whole lot of attention and hell when there's an outcome, who knows how much that will even be covered. I guess if a press release is issued by somebody, it'll be a blurb up at PFT. But unless it comes in a really slow time, people aren't going to pay much attention to it. And that's just kind of the way it is, unfortunately. At The Real Forno, after benefiting from it, will Bill Belichick keep pushing to make everything reviewable? Absolutely. It doesn't matter whether you benefit from it or whether you're hurt by it. You know, Sean Payton took the high road on Sunday. A lot of times when you get screwed by a bad rule, you end up keeping your mouth shut because you think, hey, next time around, that bad rule is going to help me. Sean Payton wants to prevent anyone else from ever being in a situation like this where they feel like a bad call decided who goes to a Super Bowl or who wins a Super Bowl. That's what the NFL has to worry about for the next 13 days. Are they going to have a screw up in the Super Bowl that decides potentially the outcome of the game or creates the perception that decided the outcome of the game? This is about making the sport better. Sims and I were arguing today about the notion that it'll never be perfect. Well,. It may never be perfect, but we should aspire for it to be perfect. We shouldn't just get complacent. We shouldn't just shrug. Oh, well, stuff happens. We are going to make it perfect, so why try to make it better? You still strive to make it better. You make it as good as you possibly can, acknowledging that it won't be perfect, but striving for perfection. What's wrong with that? We should do that in all aspects of what we do. Yeah, we're not going to be perfect, but we're going to try to be perfect. We're going to acknowledge that there will be frailties and mistakes, but we're going to aspire to have none. Isn't that the way we all should approach our work, school, whatever, our relationships, everything. It's never going to be perfect, but we should try to be perfect. We should try to be as perfect as we can be, acknowledging that it's impossible to be perfect, but don't use that as an excuse to not even try, but that's way too deep. Matt Yvonne, Jean Steratore, was a staple of yesterday's CBS broadcast throughout the program. What does the league office think of so many retired refs now criticizing play calls, and would the league negotiate a CBA clause that prevents officials from TV gigs? I, I, I don't, look, I, I don't know how that would, would even work, restricting their post-football employment. Then you get crossways with the networks, which wants to have people available to help explain these things. I think if the NFL properly valued the positions and paid these guys more, they wouldn't leave to take TV gigs. That was one of the criticisms I heard back in August or thereabouts. Got a lot of inexperienced officials, new referees, because they don't pay enough money. Remember back in 2012 when they had the lockout of the officials and the commissioner said, all the replacements can do just as well? Yeah, they, they can't. And maybe if you were paying true value for these jobs, why are they nickel and diming these jobs? Why are they doing it? Because they can? Because we're still gonna watch football even if the officials aren't as good as they can be? You know, they got the best of both worlds with these officials. They don't have to pay them as much as they otherwise would because they have other jobs. You know, you could find, I I could come up with a daily schedule, a weekly schedule, a monthly schedule for 52 weeks out of the year. Yeah, we'll give them some vacation time. I could keep the officials busy even if it's just taking them to the gym for five hours a day, getting them in the best possible shape from January to September so they can go out and discharge their obligations without ever having their physical fitness or lack thereof be an issue. And even without it, you study the rules and you study the rules and you, you take tests and you, you, you do simulations. There is so much you can do. You officiate in these other leagues. There is so much you can do to make these guys better. I remember when I was practicing law and running PFT. It was hard to do both jobs as as well as I possibly could. And I got to a point where it's, you know what, I better pick one or the other. And I was fortunate. I was doing both really well. But once I got into one at the exclusion of the other, I realized, hey, I'm a lot better now. I'm even better than I was. I don't know how good. I mean, uh, look, when I practiced law, that was the top priority for me. This was the hobby. But as we started making more and more money, I started practicing less law. And, you know, the more law you practice, the better you get at it. So maybe cases I didn't take because I didn't view them as being worth my time, maybe I would have taken them if I didn't have this other thing to do. And I would have learned something through those cases that would have made me better. And I would have accelerated on the overall curve of experience. And, you know, by this time, after 20 years, 20 years, how many years? Shit, 28 years since I graduated law school now, I'd, I'd be at a point where, I'd have been even, you know, it, it wasn't sustainable to do both. At one point, I had to pick one or the other. And think about this officials have been doing both for years. Some of these folks, you know, at Hoculate, lawyer and official, for how many years? How many years? 20, 30, every, you know. They're getting more and more of these folks full time, but I think they need to pay the money and make them all full time and they can find ways to make them better. Find as many reps, as many opportunities, as many possibilities cause them to embrace that job and get the most out of their skills as officials. Get them all in and pay them accordingly. Why should they not be making, why should referees not be making seven figures a year? And other members of the officiating crew, what, three, four, five hundred thousand a year with that carrot dangled. If you become a referee, you make a hell of a lot more. That'll get those folks to work even harder as they devote their full professional efforts. You know, if you've got another job, the prospect of being fired from one that you have, eh, that's no big deal. I got another job. If you're all in with one profession, you're going to bust your ass to keep that profession, to keep that job. And if the NFL wasn't so cheap, frankly, all due respect, if the NFL wasn't so cheap when it came to what it pays these people, we would have better officials. We would have more accomplished officials and they wouldn't be leaving to take TV gigs. Black 88 elite, I think the Rams defensive tackles will blow the Patriots' interior line apart and get Brady out of the pocket. Would you say that's a disadvantage for the Patriots? I don't know if it gets him out of the pocket. He can't get out of the pocket. The question is, can Brady get rid of the football before time runs out up the middle? They're going to have to keep Aaron Donald off of Brady, and they're going to have to hope and Ndamukong Sue doesn't break free when he is blocked one-on-one. That's going to be the challenge. Because we've seen in the past, the way you beat Tom Brady is pressure up the middle. And Brady, what happened against the Chiefs? What did he do? He didn't get sacked. He got hit once. Where was D. Ford? Where was Chris Jones? Where was Justin Houston? Well, they they were spinning their wheels as Tom Brady was getting rid of the football quickly. That's what he's become a master at. And that's going to be the challenge. Sean Alvashire, please, oh, please tell me you saw Mike Francesa going off on Tard Gurley, exchanging jerseys with the ref. He didn't realize it was a Photoshop. It's truly priceless. I saw it. I've, I, here, here's what's odd to me. Uh, let, let me. Let me choose my words carefully here. Now, what the hell? Why do people in New York hang on every word that guy says? Why is Mike Francesa regarded as this must-listen? Is it because people have just listened to him all these years? So many people have listened to him on the biggest sports talk station, in the biggest market in the country, that they just continue to listen to him? Isn't that odd? Hey, what'd Francesa say today? And they, like, get entertained by it when he does stupid things. Like when he falls asleep on the air, that whole Al Albuquerque thing. I mean, the only things I know about Mike Francesa... And I'm, I'm in Connecticut every week and it was New York before that. And all those guys that live in the area, they all like know everything Francesca says and does. It's like, what the hell? You're carving out five hours of your afternoon to listen to this bozo? And, and And they're waiting for these embarrassing moments that they can talk about. I mean, it is weird. It's like, why are you cluttering your brain with stuff from a guy who only says something memorable when he says something stupid? I don't get it. And the whole oh he retired and he came back and this, that and the other thing, and his app. I mean, it's it's like he is a caricature that they know is a caricature, but they can't look away. It is a really, really weird dynamic. I don't get it. And look, I I, I think I was on the show once nine years ago. I went up to Cleveland to interview Eric Mangini, and I think they had me on the show driving home because I must have reported something that moved the needle in New York. I don't know what it was. I don't. I, I can't remember. I was on with him one time, and it, it was fine. He seemed nice enough, but it's just weird because the only time we notice him is when he does something stupid or says something stupid. I just don't get it. Did I choose my words carefully enough there? I just don't get it. The real Forno, how much do you believe the story on Carson Wentz? I, I don't know. Look. Do I think it was made up? Do I think that the writer from phillyvoice.com fabricated multiple quotes from unnamed players and other members of the organization? No. I don't, I don't think it's made up. Now, do I think that there are some people in the organization who maybe don't really like Carson Wentz, but they're afraid to say so publicly? I could see that. I mean, look look how much better the Eagles were with Nick Foles playing than with Carson Wentz playing. And between the two guys, which one's going to come off as, as entitled? Which one is going to be more likely to be a little bit salty when he doesn't get to play? The guy who came in with the number two overall pick that Eagles traded up to get. The guy who was the MVP candidate before he t- tore his ACO in 2017. I mean, I, I think that, that the notion that there is a difference of opinion within the locker room, that there may be a, dare I say, schism between Wentz and Foles. That's why they got to keep one and get rid of the other. You can't keep them both around. And it looks like they're keeping Wentz. But you know what? There's enough smoke there that if I'm a team that really likes Wentz, if I'm a team that liked Wentz back in 2016, if I'm a team that sees what Wentz has done since coming to the NFL, and I think, man, this guy's pretty good, I'd, I'd like to explore getting him on my team, I'm going to call the Eagles, and I'm going to say, I know you're planning to keep Wentz but get rid of Foles, but before you hang up the phone, consider this offer that we're willing to make to allow you to keep Foles and trade us Carson Wentz. Why not make that call? And maybe the Eagles are just setting it up perfectly to maximize their haul for Carson Wentz by saying Wentz is our guy, Wentz is our guy, Wentz is our guy, until they get an offer they can't refuse, and now Wentz isn't our guy. Just like in 2016 when Wentz was a rookie and Sam Bradford is our guy, Sam Bradford is our guy, Sam Bradford is our guy, Teddy Bridgewater blows out his knee, first round pick and fourth round pick later, Sam Bradford's not our guy anymore. Pembroke Raider, how bad was the D4 neutral zone infraction? It cost the Chiefs the game. Brady threw a pick with no time left. Well, there was still plenty of time left, but but that was the moment where if that play stands, it sure feels like the Chiefs win the game, but he was aligned in the neutral zone. The flag was on the ground before Brady even threw the ball. I saw the flag. It wasn't even one of those, you know, sometimes when there's an, a jump, when the guy jumps early, he throws the flag straight up in the air and it comes down. This was, oh, this guy's lined up offside. Here's the flag up, I'd just drop it. Now, I think the Chiefs were salty because they didn't get a warning ahead of time. Remember there was a game this year where there was a supposed neutral zone infraction? Was it the Cowboys? Was there a Cowboys game that I'm forgetting where, God, there were 256 regular season games and and I can't, it was something along those lines where somebody supposedly was lined up offside, lined up in the neutral zone and he clearly wasn't. I can't remember what game it was, but... Uh, Ford was lined up in the neutral zone and the flag got dropped and it wiped off the play. And, you know, we talked earlier today on PFT Live about whether or not Brady was aware. If he was, he would have thrown the ball down the field. It was a short pass. It glanced off the guy's hands. It was picked off and then it got wiped out because, look, you got to line up right. That's one of the key ingredients. For for anybody who played electric football and spent all that time lining those bastards up before the play, you know the value of lining your guys up right. You got to line up right. And it's easy to be on the right side of the ball. There's enough indications out there. There's enough spatial relationships where you can tell whether you're on the right side of the line or the wrong side of the line. And D. Ford got it wrong in the worst possible moment. Buffalo Guy 83, do you think the Patriots win and the poor officiating in the NFC Championship game will hurt the Super Bowl rating? I, I think the Super Bowl rating is immune to those kinds of things. People watch the Super Bowl because it's a cultural event. I don't know that Kansas City versus the Patriots as the AFC representative would have been any different. You take out the Patriots, you swap in the Chiefs. I don't don't know that it matters. Now, there may be a lot of people in New Orleans who won't watch the game at all, who will boycott the game entirely. You've lost that market. They're not going to want to watch that game. I think that that may be a dynamic every year. If you lose in the NFC Championship game or AFC Championship game, you're not interested in watching the Super Bowl. If your favorite team had a chance to be there and isn't. But I think the Saints fans will have even more reason to say, screw it, I ain't watching it. Jay Randall 15 is a fan. Would you rather lose as a result of missed field goals or due to a missed call? I would rather it be something that falls within the purview of something that one of my players has done. I would rather have a missed field goal because then you can at least say, hey, this happened because of something that that legitimately occurred or failed to occur within the confines of the game, not because of of something that, that shouldn't have happened, some blunder that could have been fixed. So I'd rather have the missed field goal. I'd still rather have a blowout than a heartbreaking close loss, and I guarantee you that that Saints fans and Chiefs fans, in hindsight, I think that, that those folks would rather have been blown out early and been able to call it a day and do something else with their time and adjust to this the ending of the season without it being such a heartbreaker and so abrupt in overtime. I, I just think that for those folks, it had to have been excruciating. 20 years ago when I wasn't in the business and I was just a fan and I was a big fan of the Vikings and, and my, my fandom has seriously diminished since then it's it's one of the prices you pay i guess of getting into the business because you can't you you know i hate all teams equally that's been my official line for 20 years now but i i remember the 1998 nfc championship game and i remember when it went to overtime i I remember that i remember at the end of the first half the vikings were up 20 to 7 and they were going to go for more and chuck smith came around the edge and strip sacked randall cunningham and then the Falcons scored again to make it 20-14. to 14. And I remember from that point on, I felt a gnawing in my gut until the game ended. And I remember when the game went to overtime. I remember when Gary Anderson, I remember having a glimmer of hope as the Vikings drove down the field and Robert Smith was running harder than I've ever seen anyone run. More determination. He was He was going to carry that offense into field goal range. Gary Anderson misses his first kick of the entire season. From that point forward, you just have this sense of, God, get this over with. Please get this over with. Please get this over with. And when it went to overtime, it's like I don't care what happens. I just want this to be over with. And I imagine that's how Saints fans, Rams fans, Patriots fans, and Chiefs fans felt yesterday. Pembroke Raider, do you think refs really do make up calls regarding the Saints? Does the league now owe them one? I don't know. Big picture, that they're going to owe the league one or the Saints one, but I think that uh, that uh, I think we saw some make up calls yesterday. I think we saw a pass interference. Wasn't it pass interference in, in overtime? We saw an effort to get a little make-up call, and we saw an effort. There was a, after the unnecessary roughness foul, or not the unnecessary roughness, but the roughing the passer penalty that was called against the Chiefs, I think there was a makeup call later in that drive. So I, I think those things happen. Uncle Phil, do you want to take over or under on Sean Payton being the next Dallas Cowboys head coach? I'll set it for one and a half years. I'll take the one and a half years. Mm. Give me the under. Cowboys or Browns under? No, Cowboys under. If it's over, it's Browns or Cowboys. I feel like at some point Sean Payton's gonna move on. And I don't know. Does, does the way the last two years have gone? Does that hasten the departure, or does that cause him to dig in and say I'm staying here for the rest of my career through thick and thin? I just think at some point there's been a change in ownership. Mickey Loomis, the GM of the team, has kind of graduated to a higher position where he's over both the Saints and the NBA's Pelicans, both owned by Gail Benson. I just feel like at some point, I feel like at some point, Sean Payton's going to walk before he gets run out like Mike McCarthy did. Leapers 500, if Tony Romo can literally call play after play that the Patriots are running, is the Patriots march down the field in overtime, poor coaching preparation or execution by the Chiefs D. I Look, I don't know. And and I've heard some people say, oh, anybody who played quarterback in the NFL can do what Tony Romo did. But I, I know when Tom Brady changed a fourth down, a key fourth down play down near the goal line from an inside run to an outside run. And Romo knew exactly what was coming. How do 11 guys on the other side of the ball not know what's coming? How do they not see it and realize what's coming? And how, if Romo can see it, how can the other 11 guys not see it? Now, part of it may be he's got access to production meetings and practices, and he knows more than the Chiefs do. But Romo was on it yesterday. He, I, I thought maybe he had gotten away from that this year, and I don't know whether somebody told him to do it or whatever. But he was, he, was, uh, he was doing a good job of letting people know what was coming. I don't know how much people really like that, but I, I, I enjoyed yesterday the, the prescience that we saw, especially on that fourth down play, because I'm thinking, how in the hell do the Chiefs not know that this is what's happening? All right, I got to wrap this up. This is really going longer than I thought it would. Let's see what else we have here. Mike likes dirt. Do you think the ball on the non-muff punt miraculously became sentient and jumped out of the way of Edelman's beard? That beard is freaking magical. Th- that was such a weird play because there were so many different angles. And when they would show one angle, I would say, all right, it didn't hit him there, but it looks like it hit him there. And then they would show a different angle. It's like, well, it didn't hit him there, but maybe it hit him there. And then they would show a different angle. Oh, no, it didn't hit him there, But what if it hit him there? I mean, from his thumb to his shoulder to his forearm. But eventually, when you piece them all together, it's like, holy crap, the ball never touched the guy. Now, is that clear and obvious? Some would say if you ever have to look at more than one camera angle, it's not clear and obvious. But the NFL has been piecing together camera angles for years now. And they pieced together, what, three of them. And that ball did not touch Julian Edelman even though two plays later, the ball definitely touched Julian Edelman because it went off his hands and it was intercepted by the Chiefs. All right, let me find one more good one and wrap this up. Uh, any questions that are relevant to the remainder of the week, feel free to ask them on Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll try to do another one tomorrow. Let's take a look at this. A Red Zone out. What have you heard about Todd Gurley? Was he injured or upset at being upstaged by C.J. Anderson? I Look, the, the Rams claim that there was no injury, but I don't know that I believe any team when it comes to something like that. Todd Gurley had ACL surgery 2014 and at least twice this year that knee has swollen without any specific trauma to it. That's not good. That tells me that there's an issue with cartilage potentially. Look, and I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to be one, but I've done this long enough to know what can happen and what causes swelling in a knee and If you don't have cartilage, if it's bone on bone, that irritates the area. And that's where normal usage, normal wear and tear is going to result in swelling, even though nobody whacked you on the knee. So to have it happen week one, as Gurley has since admitted it did, to have it happen again late in the regular season and knock him out for two regular season games and to have him just seem not like the right guy yesterday, not the same guy, I think it's a combination maybe of the knee still bothering him a little bit. Plus, maybe he was pressing a little bit too hard because he, he knows that C.J. Anderson is chewing into the limelight. He knows that C.J. Anderson is running harder, that C.J. Anderson is arguably running better, especially between the tackles. And maybe Gurley just tried to do too much. And Sean McVay had said they were going to make their decision about who got more of the reps based upon feel. And to their credit, the Rams moved away from Gurley and move towards CJ Anderson. And that's going to be one of the big storylines over the next 13 days. And you're going to hear Sean McVay asked about it. Todd Gurley asked about it over and over and over again, because they're going to step into the media blender next week, folks. And you're going to have on Monday night, you're going to have Gurley available for an hour. You're going to have CJ Anderson available for an hour. And they're going to be peppered. They're going to be peppered. They're going to be peppered. And you know, at some point, if you get pushed enough, to talk about something, you get a little frustrated, and maybe the truth flies out of their mouth inadvertently. But I don't think Gurley's happy. Why would you be? Why would any competitor be happy with being diminished? So that's going to be a big storyline going into Super Bowl 53. And the Rams, fortunately for them, they have CJ Anderson. The question becomes Will Todd Gurley remain healthy? Can he get healthy? Does he need microfracture surgery if there's an area in his knee where the cartilage is gone? They say cartilage is like money in the bank. Once it's spent, it's gone. You remove cartilage, that that's that natural cushion between the bones and it does not regenerate. That's what microfracture surgery does. They they drill little holes into the they came up with this procedure where they drill little holes into the bone and the scar tissue simulates cartilage. Isn't that weird? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That may be what Todd Gurley ultimately needs. We and we may hear something, you know, after the season ends, Todd Gurley had microfracture surgery today. Who knows? But At least they have C.J. Anderson for now. And for Gurley, at least he did that long-term deal before this problem popped up. Whatever it is, whatever it's been, whatever it was. A guy who was an MVP candidate in 2017, won Offensive Player of the Year, and was an MVP candidate for much of the year this year. To see where he is now. Smart that he got paid when he did, and now the Rams have to wonder, can they ever get him back? To what he was not that long ago. All right. Thanks as always for your support of the PFTPM podcast. PFT Live tomorrow morning. Peter King will be with us in studio. We'll continue our reflection on Championship Sunday and also continue the process of working toward the countdown to Super Bowl 53. 13 days as of today. It'll be 12 days as of tomorrow. Before you know it, we'll be in Atlanta. We'll be in Atlanta all week next week with PFT Live, and I'll figure out what we're going to do about the PFTPM podcast. It may just be like we did last year. I think a few days last year we just did a bunch of interviews that we didn't have time to fit into PFT Live. Because what will happen next week? There will be an overabundance of players, coaches, etc. coming through Radio Row, coming through the PFT Live setup. We got a nice set this year. Every year the set gets a little nicer and a little nicer. We got a nice one this year at uh, the Media Center in Atlanta. Looking forward to getting down there. Looking forward to talking more football, the balance of the week. Again, thanks for your support, and we'll do this again on Tuesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.